0: Hi, everybody. This is Chuck Seip with another episode of Schoolhouse Rocks, a podcast. We're here with a very special guest today, uh, who I will let introduce herself, who is working on a really exciting project with us. We're just um, embarking on a new partnership with her to really enhance our instructional model uh, with a focus at the middle school. So we'll start by introducing our guests, talk about why we're starting at the middle school, and really get into our content today which is universal design for learning. So before we get too far, I will ask my guests to introduce themselves and tell our audience what they do here in our school district so that everyone knows who they're listening to.
1: I'm Amy Gallagher, I'm the director of special services and um, I'm really excited about bringing this to the to the middle school because um, inclusive education is, is paramount to the work that we do. And I think that we can make really great strides here at the middle school.
2: Hi, I'm Christina LaMonica. I'm the assistant principal of Eisenhower Middle School. And one of the amazing things on why Leanne is here and why I'm so excited about it is that our teachers have asked for more support in being able to have a more inclusive environment for their special education and general education students. And what Leanne is doing and what the teachers are looking for is a perfect marriage. Hi, I'm Leanne
3: Young. Glad to be here. Thank you, Chuck
0: so leanne introduces herself just by name like it's a throwaway but um leanne is an extensively published author and researcher in educational spaces so um if you're not familiar with educational research best practices in education or how those ideas translate into classroom action then she may be new to you but if you are an educator or you're related to one or married to one or you follow educational research trends you're probably familiar with her name maybe follow her on twitter Or have read some of her books. So I'll start and end with a plug on the book, which is the most recent book of Leanne's that we've been working with uh, here in Roxbury as kind of a book club, which is seen, heard and valued, which was recently published and kind of hit shelves January 23rd. Uh, Pardon me, not January 23rd. I have January 23 written down, (laughs) but I meant January 2023. So... Let's start with explaining what universal design for learning is and how that is complemented by and enhances the idea of true inclusive learning. And the reason I think we need to start there is two reasons. One, I'm not sure everyone knows what universal design for learning is because that's a pretty specific educational thing. And two, I need us to kind of break apart the idea of inclusive education And move away from the idea that it is taking two different groups of students and putting them in one classroom because it is much, much more than that uh, when it's really implemented with fidelity in a best practices model. So let's start there. What's UDL?
3: So universal design for learning, you know, a lot of people think of this as a new initiative, a new box to tick off, but it's really not. It's a way of thinking about our instruction, the amazing instruction that's already happening in our schools and thinking about what are some ways that I can iterate this, where I'm thinking about the student who's the most afraid of math, the most disengaged, the student who already knew how to do it before they got into the classroom, the student who's having the most trouble accessing because they're new to the language. How do I iterate my lessons right now, thinking about each of those students on the edges and be able to use that iteration, build it into the architecture of this lesson and use it henceforth and forevermore.
0: So, that idea of trying to adjust lesson design, and I'm emphasizing the word design, and we'll get to that in a second, to really reach the students on the edges as well as the students who really have um, capitalized on their learning experiences and are demonstrating mastery. Those students populate classes together, whether it's language arts, math, right, our typical core classes, they also populate other classes together, art, music, physical education. And so, this concept of designing a learning experience that benefits all students, one, um, should not be new or surprising. It's not really this um, you kind of transformative idea, but what it is is challenging. It's challenging to implement. It's challenging for teachers, which is why we need to support it. And it's challenging because it takes lots of work. It's part of the reason teaching is a really hard profession. So um, Amy, Christina, do you wanna just kind of jump in and talk about how that idea marries well with what you're trying to achieve here in our district, but particularly in the middle school?
1: Sure. Um- when we are looking at meeting the, the different needs of all of the students in the classroom, it can seem like a daunting task when you are approaching it from differentiating a lesson for each and every single student that you have in a classroom. Um, that, that can be very overwhelming. And I know, um, you know post COVID, we are seeing uh, more diversity in the needs in the classroom. Through a UDL approach, you're taking what you've already got. We've already got teachers doing phenomenal things in the classroom. And as Leanne said, we're looking at the edges. We're looking at the student that really struggled to get engaged or the student that you know already knew this before they walked into the classroom. So they're not having to start from scratch and they're looking at it before they even go into the classroom or reflecting on it after they've already done the lesson so that all of that work in the middle it, that decreases significantly. So it makes your time spent more effectively um, so that you're maximizing the learning that's happening in the classroom at that you know time of the lesson.
2: Yeah, and having been an ELA teacher for a long time before becoming the assistant principal, I tried to do a lot of that in my own lessons with trying to differentiate and meeting all the needs of the students and kind of hearing that old school mentality of teaching down the middle so that you're, you're not losing anyone, but in fact, you are losing those students because you have the students that need enrichment and and kids learn things very differently. So being able to kind of find what they need. And one of the things that I loved about UDL that you were explaining, Leanne, was about how um, just because a student has an IEP doesn't mean that the needs that they have doesn't match the needs of other students and that there is a benefit to all of the students. So, I mean, I think that was something, too, that the teachers here are are looking for, too, trying to find ways to make sure that we're meeting all those needs and keeping it a more universal because it does benefit all of the students. And that's the way that you really get to an inclusive model.
0: So one of the things I just heard Christina say, which I think we should probably talk a little bit more about is an IEP is an individualized education plan which prescribes specific accommodations and, in some cases, modifications for youngsters that would help benefit their learning experience. But what I kind of heard you say is, as educators, we need to begin to grapple with the idea that every student has the potential to have their own individualized needs. Mm-hmm. And how can those be accommodated for in the classroom? Um, and so, Leanne, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll just kind of like pr- get you set up here. One of the things i've heard you say in your trainings is those strategies strategies we would use to help students who have learning needs or uh, require accommodations to access learning really benefit everybody so do you want to talk about how that idea of inclusive learning how do we shift from allowing I, I, I pause there because I do want to emphasize the word allowing some students to share the learning space with other students and move towards a mindset where we acknowledge and celebrate every student as a valuable part of the classroom experience in a way where individualized accommodations might benefit a variety of students, not just specific students.
3: Absolutely, we, you know we can think about, well first, no student should have to earn their way into any classroom. All students belong. Um, you know, and we can think about this idea of the edges again, and what, what I like to call a false dichotomy, which is a typical fallacy we, we hear um, if you've been in a debate club or logic class. And we like, our, our brains are hardwired to put things into categories. That's why chunking works with kids. So we like to put things in the categories. And in education, we've drawn a hard and fast line between who gets an IEP and who doesn't get an IEP. But that that line is often quite artificial. We know students who didn't quite qualify. They didn't quite meet the eligibility criteria for learning disability or being on the autism spectrum, but they can have the exact same need. Two kids, uh, one has a label, one doesn't. The student who doesn't have a label might have more significant needs than the student who does have a label. So really this idea of making decisions based on whether you have an IEP or not doesn't really make any sense, it should be about whether you have a need or not. So when we think of accommodations that we might've made for a student because they had an IEP, like extended time. A lot of teachers say, well, I can only give extended time to a student if they have a label and this is written into their IEP. But really a lot of kids need extended time. Any student who's not finishing on time or finishing within the allotted time Uh, In social studies, for example, um, giving extended time, it's it's not only about fairness, which it is, but it's also about I, I can't with any validity measure what I'm trying to measure if I don't give that to everybody.
0: All right, so I can't, I'm furiously writing notes of things I wanna talk about, which is gonna lead an anticipated 20 minute to 30 minute dialogue here into three and a half hours. So perhaps we're gonna have to have multiple sessions, but I can't pass up on the opportunity of you talking about the idea for allowing any student who can't demonstrate appropriately their learning in the set amount of time between one bell and the other, right, Um, affording them an accommodation. And so I'm gonna say two things. The first is, This is precisely why whenever I run trainings on INRS and 504 and how we develop accommodation plans for students, the first slide says any teacher can provide any student any reasonable accommodation at any time. That is actually allowed by law. You don't need a piece of paper with special permission to be provided or for a teacher to provide a student access. right so I just needed to get that out of the way Mm -hmm. but my question for you and I'm not asking this as something I believe I'm asking you to play the devil's advocate if we give every kid who needs extended time the extended time they need how will we ever prepare them for the real world
3: yeah well two two responses to that one this is the real world for kids they're not in a fake world right now this is their real world Um, but also just because we're providing an accommodation and quick aside here on the accommodation piece, if we're seeing year after year students are needing more time or they're needing to share information verbally instead of in writing, it doesn't have to be an accommodation. We can just build it into the architecture of our lesson and then it becomes universal design for learning. Um, But second part of that response, just because we're going to provide an accommodation ideally as universal design for learning doesn't mean we don't teach those skills. If we want students to be able to present their knowledge verbally, but they're more comfortable doing it in writing or or they can show their learning best in writing, that doesn't mean we we don't teach oral communication. It just means when I'm measuring what you know in science, that I don't make that the only way that you can show it is the way that's not showing your learning best.
0: And I think that's an important point. And so, ladies, I'm interested in your thought about what that looks like in the classroom is, how do we structure um, an environment where teachers feel supported in measuring what they're actually trying to measure, right? Like that idea of the false narrative being like, well, you have 40 minutes for this test, but are we testing how quickly students can do the task? Or are we evaluating their ability to demonstrate meaningful learning associated with that task, those standards, those objectives? How do we balance that?
2: Well, I I think it's, it's definitely a, a larger task to take trying to figure out how to do that because as a teacher you're trying to kind of juggle all these different things. And I think it's, you have to stay standards focused on what you're doing, right? So we wanna make sure that we're measuring the standards. And I think that giving students the choice of what's going to work for them, because I mean, even in our conversation with this and, and where we feel comfortable or not, this podcast and being able to talk on this might not be my best way of doing things or where I feel most comfortable, but there might be a different way that I can kind of exemplify what it is that I'm trying to say or to get that out there. So I think the teachers, feeling supported that, yeah, you can do this different ways and us having the true knowledge and understanding that, no, it doesn't have to be a written essay if I'm trying to figure out how your progress of thought, thought is in, say, an ELA class. So if I want to see how your progression of thought is, it doesn't have to be a written essay. You can have that conversation with me and, and setting up some grading criteria for them so that we're, we are actually assessing the skill and the standard and not the method. Because i think that might be a little bit of the thing is that we're looking too much at the method of the information versus the
0: standard one of the things that i'm i'm hearing you say but you didn't say this so i don't want to put words in your mouth but what i want us to do is begin a dialogue where we can where anyone listening can feel supported about what a learning environment should look like recognizing it's not easy to implement this right Right. this is not something that is simple to do it's why again i've said this a million times it's why teaching is really hard but what you just kind of, what I heard you just say is, we often confuse equity with the same thing. Yes. Everybody got a test with 10 questions and they have 40 minutes to do it. Equity rather is the same opportunity to demonstrate learning, meaning, here are the things that I need to evaluate. How are you best capable of doing that? And for some kids, it might be a 10 question test under four minutes, someone else, it might be a conversation like we're doing here how do we build that in because time is limited, right. right? And that's really challenging to, if I'm a teacher, that's hard because if, if, let's pretend I'm the teacher and you're the students, if I gave each of you a different opportunity, I don't want someone to criticize me and say, but you gave this other kid this other thing. I would actually welcome that now at this point in my career because I'm confident and comfortable saying, if your child needs that, I'll give that to them too. But they told me that they're better off in this other format, right, with the tester what. So that's kind of what, what I heard you say. Do we want to clarify how do we, how we support teachers in feeling supported with that? Because if I'm a teacher, that's a huge ask, particularly if I'm a veteran teacher, right? So I was I left the classroom back in 2007. That idea was not commonplace. That idea of deviating from everybody gets the same medicine kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Was the norm like no one was having this conversation there so i would have never felt safe engaging in that tactic as as an educator
2: well i think giving them the opportunity to do it with support so actually testing it and trying it because sometimes if you just read about a methodology or you just kind of hear about it to actually implement it is something completely different in the classroom so giving them kind of a a free space to do that and almost try it out, maybe even fall on their face and then help them scoop back up and and fine tune it and kind of model it with them. And I'm a huge um, proponent for co-teaching and modeling and and really getting in there with them so that they can experience it with someone, somebody who maybe has done it a different way. I mean, some of our, our... best professional development is the person that's down the hallway and and getting, maybe you have a teacher here who does already try certain ways of doing that and allowing them some release time to get in there and really see what's going on or, you know, maybe even trying it out on each other if there's during a faculty meeting or something like, all right, so I want you to present this and, but you're going to do it in whichever way you feel most comfortable and give them some options to really test it out. So I think it's, it needs to be very hands-on, which is one of the fabulous things about Leanne and, and what you do because you come from such a hands-on approach of how to do it and how to implement a lot of these inclusive practices so
3: um yeah so i'm thinking about you know one of the things that helps make it be more doable just from a reflective practice standpoint is we have to figure out what, what is our default and is our default right um, you know, often testing is the default and we're trying to figure out how do we deviate and give options beyond testing. Well, maybe testing shouldn't be the default to begin with. When I ask teachers all the time, I ask teachers, you know, if, if I wanted to evaluate your expertise, would, it, would you show that best through a test or through conversation as Chuck said a minute ago or through presenting to a large group or, you know, whatever, universally people say, The way that would show my learning the least would be through a test. There are some people, you know, there are a handful of people every time who say that would would work, but it's the least common chosen option. So I, I think that calls into question, what is our default? Are we choosing as the default really what works more for more students?
0: Or quite frankly, what follows more of a industrial revolution model of kind of a repetitive approach, right? Like, so if I give a 50 question multiple choice test and I can push that thing through a Scantron machine, it takes me, I snapped if that was a weird sound. <laughs> it takes me 10 minutes to grade, I'm doing air quotes, my entire class's test. Now that grade is completely devoid of purposeful feedback for growth, mm-hmm. right? I give that thing back to a student, has no information about how to get better. It's a moment in time that has now passed us as opposed to an opportunity to get better. Um, which is like kind of the concept of practice, right? So like if if I think about a sports analogy here, right? There's a reason we practice, right? Because skills are hard, skills take time to develop. Um, Oftentimes we struggle with them. Ultimately through enough practice and repetition of really taking a risk, we can demonstrate growth towards execution of a skill. And so, but we don't necessarily see those two models happen between like the sports field analogy in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, is kind of what we're trying to break down here.
1: Well, and I think I think one of the ways to help shift a mindset is really thinking about being needs focused as opposed to I'm going to be lesson focused, or I'm going to be. I've got these documents that I have to adhere to, the IEP or the the 504. It's looking at the students for who they are, how they learn, um, and what they might need from you as the teacher. And looking at some of those accommodations, you know, I as a classroom teacher, there were certain accommodations that, for whatever reason, I just really struggled when I had to provide them because my gut instinct was to say, you know what? But what about everybody else? And I think the key is really questioning that. Why am I responding like that? Am I responding like that because I have this whole curriculum I've got to get through and by doing it this other way, that's going to slow me up. Well, that's a logistical thing. Um, and, And if you look at it as the logistics, those are a lot different to address as opposed to, you know what, that really is changing the expectation and there's a lot easier ways to address those logistics when you look at them as such because then you're going to notice as you're planning lessons all along the way that those solutions are going to become more streamlined so those those little tweaks to the lessons they're going to become more standardized because you're going to recognize oh yeah I can do this in all of my lessons and it's no additional work or it's just different work so you know I think that that, that allows for that you know slight shift in mindset there which we're trying to to do
3: you know we were bringing up barriers to making this actually happen in the classroom and one of those is you know you talk about giving all of these options and one of the first responses is how am i going to come up with that many rubrics Mm -hmm. that sounds like a nightmare Um, but the answer really to that is we don't need multiple rubrics as long as we're focused on the standard or the expectation whatever it is we're trying to teach We wanna have a single rubric and one that is not, you know, the typical rubric is the four is what we're expecting, the three is what's missing, the two is what's really missing and the one's what's really, really missing. And instead, we wanna be able to articulate the steps in learning, like a learning progression. Where is this starting and how does it progress over time? And when we do that, we can evaluate where students are with students uh, and create feedback with students Uh, based on where they are. It's about what's next, not about what's missing. And once we do that, um, when we articulate how the standard or expectation progresses over time, we can use that in whatever format the student is showing their learning.
0: Well, And so I I really like the direction of what we're talking about here because I I think we're all on the same page. Let me rephrase that. I'm confident we're all on the same page that advocacy for student needs is our primary concern. And that doesn't diminish the reality that teachers have needs as well, right? And so, Amy, when you just mentioned those adjustments became um, become logistical issues, that is a legitimate concern if I'm a teacher. Um, and so hopefully part of the purpose we're achieving here is, I want people to hear that we're gonna support that. When, when if I'm a teacher, I, should feel, I want them to feel confident and comfortable that you have support, right? Uh, I don't want, a parent or a community member to feel like, well, if my student, if I believe my student needs ABC and the school district doesn't give that to me or doesn't agree with that ass- assertion, that I'm receiving some sort of a consolation prize, right? Or I'm, re- or I'm, my, my child's not getting some sort of a safety net. My hope is that we can comfortably balance the idea that. We're all here for the best interests of students, and we want every student to succeed and they grow at different rates. But we need to scaffold in um, the structures for that to, to happen. So, I want to circle back to the very beginning conversation, which is that UDL framework and mindset. And so, Leanne, you referred to that earlier as the architecture for a lesson. And so, I would love for you to kind of um, dial that back into something really consumable. And I'm going to ask you to share an analogy you shared with the administration. So, I have use this analogy lots of times. I give you credit, as I told you I would, but I like it, so I'm gonna keep using it. When you compared lesson design to baking chocolate chip cookies and the difference between differentiation in that process and UDL in that process, can you just kind of share that with everyone so that it becomes super translatable for anyone, whether you're an educator or not, the difference between differentiation, which is the word we're all kind of comfortable with because it's been around for a Mm -hmm. while and what UDL really looks like.
3: Yeah, sure. I give a couple of analogies for this. But, uh, you know, some people wonder, is, is uh, UDL just a new name for differentiation? And it's not. There's, there's an important distinction, really, and it's, it's uh, in terms of when it, when it's done and for whom. In differentiation, we're doing this, we're planning for the students we have now. And this is important. It's something we have to do. And we'll continue to have to do in terms of thinking, what does this group of students need? But the more universal design for learning we've done ahead of time, the less differentiation we have to do on the back end. So the chocolate chip analogy is the chocolate chips are really easy to put into the cookies when you're baking them before you've baked them. But it's really hard or impossible to add them after you've baked the cookies. And so when we think about our lesson design, sometimes we're in the moment and we're trying to differentiate and we have some ideas and the train has left the station and the lesson unit, they're over before I can even implement that. So sometimes it's just not even possible. But if I'm thinking right now at the end of the year or the middle of the year, wherever we are about the lessons that I've just delivered and how can I, how can I iterate this to make it more accessible or consumable uh, or interesting next time now we're putting in the chocolate chips before we bake the cookies
0: and and i like that that comparison because i think it really helps us and i can admit when i was a teacher i was a chocolate chip after the baking kind of guy right where i tried to figure out after the fact like oh i'll do this one little thing so that this kid might be able to get this lesson and it's definitely a new approach that i wasn't um aware of as a teacher myself but I'm trying to help with with you all build in the space where teachers can feel confident and comfortable exploring this space as we design lessons, because I do believe the benefits for all of students will be much more profound and they'll have an opportunity to meet success at a greater rate, uh, recognizing that that looks different for every kid, right? A success success in demonstrations of learning does look different for every child, and that is okay. It is okay for teachers to provide accommodations to any student at any time that are reasonable, not just because some piece of paper says so. Um, It's okay to right if a kid's having a bad day, it's okay to say, hey, buddy, I know that you seem a little off. You want to come back and, you know, it's okay to engage in that conversation. That is okay. And sometimes, as Amy mentioned before, that's at the expense of time, right? Well, now I'm a, a day behind. And if we do that too much, it pushes us off our trajectory, which becomes problematic, but I would say that we need to have a healthy balance of how that would or would not impact students.
1: And I feel like um, to that end, one of our roles as administrators is really to help with that logistical piece. And you know, for any parent that's, that's listening, it's important that you know that we're dedicated to um, working towards the needs your student have, has, fulfilling those needs, meeting those needs. And yeah, sometimes logistics gets in the way, but you've got a team of people that is here to try to figure that out. Um, because yeah, logistics can be really difficult to figure out, but that's what that's what we are here for. That's um, through conversation, seeing how other people have figured that out. You know what, maybe we need to find find another point in your day. Maybe we need to build more time in your day. Um, maybe the expectations are, are a little unrealistic of, of how much we're expecting anyone to get through in a year. Um, but if we're just charging through and we're letting the curriculum do all of that leading, then really what are the students getting out of it? You know, like we're losing focus there on the most important um, aspect of education.
0: Well, and I believe as we continue to have these conversations and we as a collection of uh, a community of learners, um, but, and I, but that we includes parents, students, teachers, administrators, like we're all in this together, right? Hopefully we all have the same goal, which is we want our children of this community, of all communities, right? Like we're not just focused on, we are because we are employed here, but we focus on our students, but educators are a community that benefits students, right? We're here to help all students. So if these ideas help another district, I'm delighted to hear that, that would be awesome that we could partner with other districts to make meaningful progress for their kids too but i think if we continue to focus that our end goal is students going through a years long learning experience that is not like a trudge right it is not an arduous task it is something that is engaging and exciting and purposeful although everything's not the you know their favorite that is okay that's part of preparing them for the real world because that is their real world right. Um, you know, I think that this sort of idea of allowing students to explore their learning in a way that's purposeful and meaningful th- to them while still demonstrating growth, like that needs to be the common theme, but it becomes the responsibility of the adults to structure the experience so that they can operate in that space. Like, I know that sounds a bit um, optimistic, but I, I feel like education needs to be hallmarked by optimism, right? There is, as Amy kind of talked about, You know, there seems to be this never ending stream of initiatives um, of mandates, you know, whether it's locally, statewide, federally, where of more stuff to teach, more things to teach that, you know, kind of challenges the amount of time we have. If we continue to integrate those things in a way that allows students to demonstrate learning through a lesson architecture, using Leanne's word here, um, that gives them the space to, to, to do that, then I think we're in a pretty good position. So I'll ask one last question before we wrap up, because we're probably over time, but I like this conversation, (laughs) Um, so I'm being a little bit selfish, is if you're a teacher and you're not quite sure you are comfortable with this idea because maybe you have more traditional educational approaches, maybe you've been doing this for a long time and what you've been doing, I'm doing air quotes, works, How do? what would your advice be, Leanne, to either administrators or teachers? To start to make progress towards the idea where a UDL framework would benefit all students? How do I help? How do I take one step closer if I'm not buying it?
3: Yeah, I mean, every teacher can reflect on a student, probably this week, who had trouble being engaged, who had trouble understanding something, who had trouble showing their learning. Everybody can relate to that. You don't have to use all of the checkboxes you know, of universal design for learning. But if you think of that one student, what is one change you might've made or you might make in the future that would help that student because you're gonna have the exact same needs next year. The names and faces are gonna change, but the exact same strengths and needs will be in your classroom. What is one thing you could do to that lesson that would make it a little bit more accessible? And then it just, it just grows
1: from there.
0: All right. Amy, Christina, any thoughts, any last thoughts before we get out of here?
1: Um, no, I just really appreciate all the work that Leanne is doing with our district. I, I look forward to um, this partnership growing. I think that this, this is the way that we meet the ever-changing needs of our students. Um, I think that this shift in mindset is exactly what we need in education. And our work with Leanne really helps to make this vision our reality.
0: All right. So, Christina, as the building administrator, what's one thing that you can say about the how the staff have received this concept, which is really quite new? We've just started this partnership that Amy referred to. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the partnership before we go. But what's your sense about the staff here at the middle school, since this is where we're really starting?
2: So, the staff seems very excited. Um, I can't tell you how many teachers stopped me in the hallway to say, wow, this is amazing. First of all, the way that it was introduced to them um, and the detail that was given but they said at no time did they ever feel like they didn't know what they were that they were supposed to know something that they didn't know and they're just very excited about the workshops for tomorrow and to be engaged and to feel like they have further support to kind of get to their goals of being able to have a truly inclusive classroom so we're all here at the middle school very excited about this partnership and seeing where this goes and growing it and really helping our students to the best of our ability so and i do want to just say too there was something that you had said um that when a student has an IEP legally, yes, they have to get those different uh, modifications and accommodations, but it doesn't mean that the other students don't get to get it or they're not allowed to have it. And understanding that and kind of shifting that thought process, especially, I mean, I got my degree in 2000. So to know that that, there's that shift and that change, I think is really important. And that's something that we can all kind of look forward to in, in getting that equity. So thank you.
3: Yeah, the the IEP or the 504, those are are legal documents and they're legally giving the right to some students what should be accessible to all.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, so uh, one last time, one more plug. Um, If you are interested in learning more about this because we're gonna continue this work here, Uh, Leanne's newest book, Seen, Heard, and Valued, which was published back in January of 2023. So it's kind of hot off the presses. Super easy read. Um, I think it's really impactful. And it's very easy to take some of the strategies and information out of the book and implement right away. So um, we're going to continue to have this conversation here. Uh, Our partnership with Leanne will extend uh, into the foreseeable future. um, And we're going to continue to do uh, the hard work that is required for us to evolve what we do to best serve the students of our learning community um, and to support teachers in implementing strategies that really meet the needs of all learners. So we're excited to have Leanne support our teachers on our school community, and I'm really excited for what comes next. So thanks for listening.